Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, that means repeat, that Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and we're also very good friends. In fact, we're such good friends, I'm going to let Ben handle the podcast for a moment so that he can tell you where to find his latest public, uh, his latest work. Ben, can you do that? Sure. You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Driving Line, at Car and Driver, and at Inside Hook. And you can find my work at Autotrader.ca, Driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine, and TechSpot. Ben, we've got some, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about this week, man. So Ben, talk to me about you've been, what you've been driving lately. Can you do that? Yeah, I picked up a vehicle that I know is going to send some of our listeners looking for the off switch and other listeners are going to be like, ooh, tell me more. And it's, I promise though, it's the last EV for the next little while. It is the BMW i4. And mm-hmm. I know last week I talked about the BMW iX. These are two very, very different vehicles. And I liked both of them a whole lot for totally different reasons, Sammy. Now, I want to tell all of the listeners that um, are tired of hearing about EV content. First of all, it's not our fault. Our publications do want uh, EV content. And if you, wanna, if all, you stick around after this EV talk, we have a whole bunch of non-EV stuff to talk about. Oh, no, no. Hold on. I have something. We have some very important stuff to talk about EV-wise and why they don't work, what the problems are, and uh, I think there's going to be some EV dunking going on. Oh, in, so you're, you're appealing to the dark side of, of, of EV listeners at this point. Yes. And I so get it. Let's get through this i4 talk because, I don't know, I've driven the iX. I thought it was pretty good. You drove the iX. You thought it was pretty good. What Can you tell me about the i4 that hasn't been set? So, what do you mean? That has, well, we haven't talked about the i4 at all. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I guess everything has been unsaid. <laughs> but uh, this, there's a big, big difference between these two vehicles, and that is the fact that the iX was designed from the ground up to be an electric, whereas the i4 is basically a BMW 4 Series Grand Coupe with an electric motor. And there's two versions. There's the, I think it's called the E40 and the M50. And I drove the M50, which is the crazy, bonkers, cuckoo version of the car when it comes to power. Um, and I, I have to tell you, Sammy, I wasn't expecting a lot because we all know that when you electrify a gasoline-powered uh, platform, it doesn't always turn out how you had planned, right? Like, no, there's, there's always-, always a bunch of compromises in terms of how to ha- how to accommodate the batteries. Um, and, and what kind of driving dynamics that will Im- impact too, Yeah, right? you never know like, what you're going to get. It, sometimes it's extremely <laughs> underwhelming. So I, when I went into this, and considering the fact that the eDrive 40, like the base version, has 335 horsepower, I was like, ooh, you know, this is a heavy vehicle. Is that going to be enough? And then I looked up the stats on the M50, which is what I drove, which is all-wheel drive, and it has 536 horsepower and 586 pound-feet of torque. That's pretty much the same output as the iX that I had driven the week before. But get this, I think the i4 is like three to 400 pounds lighter than that model. So okay. These but, are, like, power-wise, that's comparable to, say, like, an M4 or something, right? Yeah, except, get this, Sammy, it does 60 in 3.3 seconds, which is faster than an M3 competition. Wow. Like wow. considerably faster. Really considerably faster. Yeah, I, how fast is an M3? It's, it's it? 0.2 seconds faster uh, to okay. 60 than an M3 competition, and it does 50 to 70, almost a full second faster than the M3. Oh, okay. So wow. it, if you're on the highway 50 doing to 70 a second faster, what does it do? It instantly. It's That's like insane. 0.7 seconds faster. <laughs> 
doing doing a highway pull in this car is terrifying. Um, this car was way too fast. It was too fast all the time, but it had an even crazier mode. So it had regular mode, which was fast. Then it had sport mode, which was too fast. And then it had this thing called sport boost. And oh. you put it in sport boost, and I was with my partner. She's in the car beside me, and we're facing a very steep hill. And I'm like, okay, hold on. I'm going to do sport boost. And she's like, okay. Within two seconds, she asked me to pull the car over, and she had to get out of the car because it made her sick. Oh, that is man. how fast the acceleration is in Sport Boost. Okay, but talk to me about the weight and uh, the, the weight and the feel of that weight in this vehicle, though, because I want to talk about the drive dynamics more than anything else right now. Well, Sport Boost, I just want to I just want to point out, Sport yeah. Boost adds sixty eight horsepower and forty eight pound feet of torque. What do you mean by adds? It just like pulls it in from the sky? What is no? This? Because adds. we all know it's that it's there ele- all the time. No, because we know that electric motors and ele- and batteries, they cooling is a big part of things, right? So oh, yeah. when you pull a lot of power, it often requires extra cooling, and sometimes you can't do that over a long duration. So you see a lot of these cars offering, it's kind of like a launch control, although with the BMW, it was available at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it'll give you 10 seconds of that power, which is pretty decent. I mean, as we've already I mean, established, considering how fast it gets in three seconds, yeah, you're probably you're probably at 400 miles per hour by the time you run out of sport boost. Okay, but seriously, talk to me about this. Wait, how does it feel? Uh, how does it feel? The car feels very much like any four series. That was the thing that really impressed me the most. I felt like I was just driving a super quick, deadly silent four series Grand Coupe, and I am on record as someone who likes the Grand Coupe a lot because. Uh, to me, it's better than the 3 Series. Um, I'm not super fan of the doors. I believe it still has the frameless glass. It feels a little cheap. But the body the body style with the hatchback is super practical. It's very, very useful as a vehicle. I don't understand why you would get a 3 Series over the 4 Series Grand Coupe, given the fact that they share a platform and drivetrains. So to me, marrying that practicality with this amazing electric uh, setup, it, it, it's win-win. Now, this, like, weirds me out because there's an eDrive 40 model and then there's this M50 yes. with a 200 horsepower gap between them. Well, the uh, the E40 has a single motor and it's rear-wheel drive. So you double the motors for the M50. So that that's it. You've got no other – you either get um, one that seems heavy and relatively underpowered or maybe, like, average-powered and another uh, yeah. one that's too too powerful – and fast. I don't yes. have a torque number for the E-Drive 40, so I don't know. Because that's that's really going to – the torque is what's going to make it feel underpowered or not. Because okay. that's where you're – because since it's instant on, it will be able to handle the extra weight. Well, who I cares think. about the E-Drive 40? You didn't drive it. Talk that's to me about well, this. Well, you brought it up. So. That's true. <laughs> I just think it's weird that they have this massive gap between the two vehicles. Um, the Think about it like the gap between the entry-level 3 Series and the M3 competition. I guess that's the way – you would have yeah, to look at but it. there's a six-cylinder one, a normal six-cylinder one between them. Yeah, but how many right? different flavors of battery do you want? I mean, apparently the answer is infinite. But <laughs> <laughs> I know that. You know that. I want all the batteries. So, I want to be so, able to put more batteries before any road trip that I have to do and take them out when I don't need them. Like the iX, I wouldn't consider it a sporty drive in the sense that it's not a sports car because it's so heavy, but mm. it feels like a great Grand Touring car. Um Remember when I was... Which is the advantage of the 4 Series Grand Coupe in, in, in any way, right? Like, yeah. this must feel like a 4 Series Grand Coupe, yeah. but not an M4. You know, like, Although, when we're talking about the Audi GT e-tron? Yes. The, it's it's similar to that in the sense that, you know, this is a really great car for covering long distances. 
in a short amount of time very comfortably. Um, okay. Range wise, it doesn't do nearly as well as the IX, and I think this might have something to do. Oh, sorry, this might be where you start to see the differences between a platform that was designed to be electric from the start and one that was adapted. Uh, I believe it's 200. Let me just pull up the number here. 245 miles in the all-wheel drive one, which is almost 100 miles. Sorry, not 100 miles. F- 45, 55 miles less than the uh, base car. So the the M50 Neither IX. Of those numbers are great. But are the, the no. M50 IX I drove, I drove, I believe, was like 300 miles of range, something like that. Okay. Uh, right around there, or maybe just a little less. So the i4 doesn't quite get there, even though it's so lighter. So it's clearly a smaller battery. Yeah, I would say than so. Than the iX. I don't know that for sure, but I would say so. Okay. Um, I don't have the battery size here. It's, it's For some reason, it's not in the press materials I was given. But uh... Well then. Now you just have to go out there and measure out all the cells. Oh, here it is. It's 81.5 kilowatt hours. And I want to say the one in the M50 was something like 100 yeah. 105, something like that. IXM50. IXM50, yes. yes. So, I mean, I don't think people can really make do with, uh, I don't, well, I mean, I think people can make do with 230 miles or 245 miles, but they won't, right? Well, I don't know. You know, it was weird. I didn't really think about the, the range as much because I didn't go on a, a long trip in the. Oh, yeah. The, the ultimate, uh, the ultimate. Like way of saving your battery is to just not drive it, right? Well, I'm saying that I, I charged a lot. I didn't really – I was driving a lot around town, but I was always driving from charger to charger. So it wasn't really a problem for me. Um, I could drive this car every day easily. I really, really enjoyed it and I was surprised by that. Even I, I with that range like, – I do know you do a couple of like uh, longer trips I think on the weekends to your folks or you know when, we're going, when you're going to the track or something, right? Like – does that range impact your your everyday? No. It would but no occasional. It, it would be uh, a little bit of a hassle, I think, unless I had access to a fast charger, which is not always guaranteed. But the the real problem with this car isn't so much the uh, range; it's the pricing. I think so. The thing it's not the range. It's not the it's not the performance. It's not the it's not the design, it's not the interior, it's the pricing. But still, I mean, if you look at the pricing of the um I four, I'm not sure it's super competitive. It's definitely not competitive. I mean, 60, I think it's a bit pricey. Well, you got to consider that. It, are you competing against the Model Three or are you competing against the Model S? Probably a Model Three, right? I mean, even a Model Three, I think, can be cheaper than the fifty five thousand dollars starting point of the i4 let alone the sixty seven thousand dollar one of the of the more performance oriented one yeah so it's it's obviously built a lot better than a tesla uh and it has a different feature set and a different type of design um but it's not necessarily the kind of vehicle you're getting a bargain on now the the base one maybe but this it's hard to pay a lot of money for a car that wasn't designed specifically as yeah. an EV. That, that's that's what I think the bottom line is. The iX, I think, is worth $84,000 um, if you start to compare it against X5s of a similar price, which is, I kind of think is the natural competitor. I think BMW's real competition is in its own showroom. Yeah. Um, but the i4, what are you really comparing it to? A much, much cheaper 4 Series Grand Coupe. So, so then I, I'm totally unsure about how I feel about this. Um, what's the best way to put it? This comparison, right? Like the four series and the three series can go from four cylinder humdrum, you know, around town vehicle to um, an M4 to an M or an M3, you know, 
track-oriented vehicle. And then there's these electrified versions of the vehicle. And I think that shows a lot of um, versatility in the platform. But you're saying that it doesn't show kind of strength in any of those in any of those areas, does it? What do you mean by strength? It's not showing. It's not showing to. It's not proven to be a sort of like class leader in any of those. Well, performance areas, is definitely a class leader, but in terms of range, then no. And that's what you want an EV to really deliver, right? Well, I just Let alone an electric one or a BMW branded all one. All I'm saying is it doesn't have to be one or the other because the iX proves you can have both. Mm. I mean, the iX is technically 4.4 seconds to 60, which is a full second slower. But in real testing, the iX is about four seconds. So again, probably it's 0.7 seconds slower in a mm. much larger vehicle that has a lot more cargo space. So I, I feel okay. like that's an acceptable trade-off. Before I change gears and talk about another vehicle altogether, um, and nothing related to BMWs, I want to talk about the 7 Series, because that's what they're doing with the 7 Series, too. The i7, or the 7 Series electric vehicle, is an, a 7 Series with an electric powertrain. They're, they're not... Like, the iX is the only one that has been built from the ground up to be an electric vehicle. And they're... Like, it's weird, right? Isn't that weird? Usually automakers kind of, like, they go all in, or they go, you know... I don't they think have, it's weird because they have to it. But like we talked about last week, you have to look at Project I and how that worked. We got the I3, which was from the ground up, an electric vehicle. Mm-hmm. And we got the I8, which from the ground up was its own platform as a, as a plug-in hybrid. So okay. I think they're taking that technology and they've identified the fact that most people are buying SUVs right now, which means it doesn't make sense to do a ground up sedan slash hatchback like the i4 or a ground up full size executive car, which absolutely no one is buying. Okay. So even I, though the comp- competition has one, the the EQS and the Tesla Model S, but the Tesla is a, is a special case. I don't think you can consider it because that was their only vehicle for a very long time. So that's kind yeah. of they built their brand around that. And if you look at the EQS, it is honestly one of the least interesting cars I've ever seen in my life. And I think it's a, I think it's, I think it was a mistake for Mercedes Benz. Just um, design wise? Or you mean? I think design wise. Like it's you terrible. won't even get, you won't even look past the design of the EQS. It looks like a C-Wing from 10 rest. years ago. It is, it is, if <laughs> I am paying. 200, that's all. The S-Class is a, is an icon and this thing is not an icon. It is like, <laughs> it looks like it was designed in a wind tunnel and then released into the world with no adornation. And okay, I get it, but BMW doesn't need to drop a billion dollars on building a unique platform that scales up to an executive sedan. I think their strategy makes sense is what I'm saying. So make the exe- make the exclusive platform for the product that's going to be that's going to generate the most interest or sales, which is yes. the IX, and then and scale then, it up or scale it down to make larger or smaller crossovers, and then showcase your technology in more. Um, how do you describe the four series Grand Coupe or the i seven? Right, like, the, like well, you're adding breadth to your lineup at that. Point. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. That is a cool strategy. Now you, you've talked me through it, and. Um, I'm slowly getting on board. Thank you for for sharing your thoughts on that. I think that makes sense. So where where uh, an area where AVs EVs don't necessarily make sense, Sammy, is something I think we want to talk about next. Yes, uh, pickup trucks, right? So a study, not a study, a test came out today, I believe, from Motor Trend, where they took the new F-150 Lightning, which is the EV version of the standard F-150 which has been receiving rave reviews just in terms of power and range and how well it drives and all that stuff. And they're like, okay, 
let's do some truck stuff with it. And the truck stuff they wanted to do with it was towing. Sammy, they took three different trailers. Yeah. And uh, those three different trailers had different weights, like 3,100 pounds, 5,300 pounds, and 7,200 pounds. Basically, the, the range of travel trailers, what they called them, or camping trailers. They wanted to see how the, how the Lightning performed when it was hooked up to one of these trailers. How did it perform, Sammy? Not so good. Uh, in, one, in, in, a, in one phrase, not so good. Um, this is a, an issue because I think the towing capacity of the F-150 Lightning, it ranges between 5,000 and 10,000 pounds. And to get that big number, the, the top end of that number, you need the, um, an XLT or a Lariat model with the optional extended range battery, um, which adds like cooling. To, remember we were talking about cooling earlier. It adds all that cooling, which will help the vehicle, which should help the vehicle tow. And it costs seventy five grand. So you pay yes. seventy five grand to get the ten thousand pounds, and um, uh, it doesn't help. No. What ended up happening was Motor Trend. They had a, a te- standard test loop that they did. It was, I think, an 80, 80 mile test route, and they drove the same truck with the different trailers on it. So, the most range they got towing the lightest trailer, three thousand pounds, which I want to say is roughly what my Datsun weighs when it's on a U-Haul trailer. Yeah. Probably just a little bit less. Oh, relatively, like that's a mo- to me that's a somewhat modest. That's the uh, same amount of towing that say a I think a Subaru Forester can do. Is that correct? <laughs> like I think, yeah. I think Subaru Outback and Forester max out at like three thousand pounds. Uh, a lot of the smaller crossovers, that's like the big max. Um, anyway, they did one hundred and fifteen miles of range, and then when they had the middle camper, five thousand pounds. So like that's a Mustang on the trailer, probably. 100 miles, and then with the big trailer, 7,000 pounds, they got 90 miles of driving before the battery was empty. Uh, you're going to need to repeat all that because it's it's too low to be believable, I think. There, there's a bunch of stuff to unpack here. The first is no one dry. I, I refuse to believe that people who have a giant 7,000-pound camper, that's a 30, 35, 36-foot camper, only mm. drive 90 miles to the next campsite. No. I feel like... I feel like if you have a grandiose camper like that, you're going on a good adventure and you you expect to get there maybe on a, one or two charges, probably not going to happen with the Lightning. Uh, yeah. I think people tow small trailers small distances all the time, like U-Haul trailers or utility trailers, or maybe they're pulling like a lawnmower or maybe a jet ski to the lake, that kind of stuff, if you live near the lake. Yeah. But but like 190 miles. So uh, I when I drive to the track, it's about 300 miles. And I would be in the load that's about 3,000 pounds. So <laughs> I would have to stop to charge three times to get there. That's un, that's not appropriate. That you wouldn't be able to handle, you wouldn't be able to manage that. If you were to find fa- DC fast chargers on the way to your track three times, Good which luck. isn't always a guarantee. Yeah. No. You take about, let's say 30 minutes, maybe 38 minutes to get to 80%, not 100. And think but about 80%. Think about racetracks are also in the middle of nowhere most of the time. Yeah. So yeah. your your access to trailers to charges is not good. Let's also talk about where campsites usually are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's um that's not helpful, man. Like this is not this is unfair. Um, not unfair. This is inappropriate because I think what is what we've seen in the Lightning and the F one fifty is that they seem like they're really good trucks um, for people doing work. I think that's fair to say with the F one fifty and not the Lightning, just the regular F one fifty. They've got all those features, three sixty degree cameras. They've got like trailer backup assistance and a smart hitch thing and all this sort of stuff to make trucking a little bit more accessible. And, and, and it when, all feels like theater when you get to the lightning. 
Yes, and it all feels exactly. It feels like theater when you get to this EV. It feels like why did you why did you even bother to to hitch it or or hook it up to something? So it also begins to stress me out because I think pickup trucks get a get a nasty reputation or pickup truck drivers get a nasty reputation when they drive around empty, um, not towing anything because they're not not electric versions of them, but even gas versions of them, right? Yeah, so what we've ended up doing, and, and this is the saddest part, is the lighting really seems like it's just a commuter truck. Like, it's it's capitalizing on that, the, the worst image of full-size pickups, which is what you just described. So, you have the Falling lighting... Falling empty. So, why didn't they make this a... I mean, it's a shame that they couldn't have made an Expedition first or something like that, using the lightning uh, chassis? But, but the Expedition... But that wouldn't have sold, right? No, well, it doesn't have the volume, right? The F-150 is the, the one where they can recoup the costs via volume. But it's, 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 it's essential. I don't want to use the word poser truck, because it does have capability, but those capabilities can't be tapped into. I mean... You're, you're, you're just not going to be able to use that 10,000 pounds of range in a meaningful way unless you're part of the small, the people who tow uh, are probably, you know, a smaller part of the pickup truck universe right now anyway, because most people are using them as commuters, but people who tow a very short distance, probably even smaller, um, yeah. unless it's for a small load. So if you're the, if you have a large trailer and you go a short distance, the lightning works for you, but you're probably like in the 10th, 10th percentile. You know, of, of lightning owners, I would think. So it's really too bad. Like this is, I don't know how Ford's going to react to this kind of information because I don't know what, I don't know how you can present 90 miles of towing range. And they're not even at the top. They didn't even tow a 10,000 pound trailer. They towed no. 70% of the F-150's capacity and they ended up with, you know, 30% of its range. Um, I... I found out that you know they have another they have another test um, with the Rivian the R1T, and this thing managed um, 159 miles on a on a charge. What was it on, on a? It was towing. Holy moly! <laughs> it was towing. <laughs> this is huge. Uh, 82,000, uh, 8,200 pounds. Well, it's 9,000 pounds. It's really tough to do like an apples to apples comparison here without seeing yeah. the tow routes. Like, I think you'd have to do the same tow route, but that does seem like a much larger number. <laughs> it, but still, it's more than 90, right? Yeah. Like 90 miles. I also think the Rivian is a little bit smaller than the F-150. I know mm -hmm. that the, the, uh, the Motor Trend test was talking about how they felt that wind resistance and aerodynamics mm -hmm. played a big role. And that's why there was such a drop off with their large trailer versus the medium sized trailer. Um, so it's possible that the Rivian is just more aerodynamic or they also they did in the Rivian test. They didn't tow a, a trail, like uh sorry, a camper. They towed um, a trailer with a truck on it. Okay. So that's probably so it's a whole different, it's a different load altogether. Yeah, so, and, and the aerodynamics get, get kind of messy yeah. at that point. Uh, mo Crazy. moving, moving on to things that aren't great, uh, is another. Yes. So we had Blake, a longtime listener, send a link to us this week talking about a problem that a Toyota GR86 owner is having, Sammy. Yeah. So, um, how, where do we even begin with this? It's, uh, an owner of a Toyota 86, he, he, a GR86, this is a new generation GR86 with that bigger engine. Um, different, you know, slightly different platform, and, and Ben talked about it a couple of weeks ago. He seemed to enjoy it. Um, he had some issues with his car. Oil starvation issues? Is that is that the, yeah, the official... The, basically, the, the, the motor is done. Um, they had a... Kaput? Yeah, force, the cylinder number four had oil starvation, and it killed the motor. 
And when he went to get a warranty claim, it got denied because Toyota found a picture of him online, basically drifting the car at some autocross somewhere. And they said, well, okay, you're, problem you're, number one, why is Toyota like scoping <laughs> out this guy's socials, right? Yeah. Like, problem, problem number two, Toyota sells the GR86 with a year long NASA membership, which is oh, uh, a track event. Yeah. It's, it basically gives you access to all of NASA's track events. And it even comes with driver training, I believe, one-day driver training. So the car is specifically sold to go to these kinds of events. Now, Toyota said drifting can cause oil starvation. And because we have this one picture, we assume you were drifting, even though it was taken at an autocross. And we're not going to cover you. This guy came back with, well, when we took the motor apart, we found some engine sealant inside. I believe it was sealant, Sammy? Yep. That caused the blockage, which is a problem that the older GR86, when it was the GT86 and the BRZ, it had a problem with that uh, because of some warranty repairs that were done improperly by Toyota technicians. Um, so this is kind of like you're going down the rabbit hole now of yeah. problem after problem. But the thing I want to focus on here. Yeah, we need to focus on on this part about Toyota's overall message here. Which is Give, selling selling enthusiasts a car with a sports car membership. Or, or training, high performance driving, you know, events, and then not backing up something when, by, by looking at somebody's socials and finding out that they went to a track event. That, that's nonsense, right? There's, there's no good outcome here for Toyota because if they deny, if they continue to, apparently this has gone up the chain and, you know, whatever regional directors have said no and corporate has said no. The way this shakes out for Toyota, if they keep denying it, is two ways. Either you're sending the message to people who want to go to high-performance dri- high driving events that they shouldn't go there in a Toyota or this will happen. Or you're telling people who go to high-performance driving events that they're ca- that Toyotas can't handle that kind of driving. So either they're not going to have your back if something happens under warranty or their cars just can't handle it anyway and that's why this happened. So you, you can't do a 30-second tire smoke slide sideways without wrecking your motor. That's lose-lose for Toyota. I also need to add that this is kind of unique for the North American side of things because uh, as uh, I'm, lo- I'm looking at a report from The Drive, um, GR Yaris, you know, this super hopped up, you know, rally car. It's yeah, a, the car a, that everyone's all excited about. It has a warrant. It specifically says on the website and the warranty that using your GR Yaris for track days or similar events does not invalidate your vehicle's warranty. And any potential failure to your GR Yaris during a track day or a similar event um, are not specifically excluded, and they'll be supported. So, and in contrast, the, the North American warranty specifically says racing and abuse will void an owner's warranty, despite the fact that they get a free NASA track day and all of the marketing is showing the vehicle going nuts on a track. Yeah, this is this situation is something that uh, probably spiraled out of control before anyone at Toyota's PR department could think about where it was going to end up. So, and not not a great situation. Curious to see. I'm sure we'll find out what happens. Um, the internet hasn't been quiet about that to this point, so I don't see why it would be quiet in the future. Um, <laughs> the couple other things though that we wanted to to just before we wrapped up today, sure. talking about a couple of pickup trucks. Oh yeah, let's talk about some trucks. Yeah. I love trucks. Don't you love trucks? So there's two new trucks on the horizon. One is a totally new truck. One is not a totally new truck. Um, the first one, let's go with the totally not new one first. That is the Ford Ranger Tremor. Ford Maverick Tremor. Sorry, Ford, yeah, Ford, Ford Maverick Tremor. So We've already done a, a, a Ranger Tremor, I we think. We have, we have. And, so, and now we're getting a Maverick Tremor. First of all, it's important to point, point, you know, in case anyone forgot, the Tremor is a 
like let's let's be really simple. Let's simplify it a lot. It is an escape based pickup truck. I don't know. Kind um, of yeah. It's a unibody pickup that was never really intended to be a tough truck. It was kind of intended to be a truck like vehicle. I guess. But now like, it's going to do your favorite thing. It's going to do some off road. Uh, what did you call it last week? Off road cosplay. Yeah, off road cosplay. So you could already get the FX4 package, which was like the off road cosplay light. <laughs> but the 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 Tremor version is going to have a one inch lift suspension lift, not just tires. It's going to yeah. come with twenty nine inch Falcon Wild Peaks, which are the favorite cosplay tire of any off-road vehicle <laughs> and it's getting something called four-wheel drive lock so okay. um well that's good actually i think if you get a real off-road uh or, or a real change to the drivetrain that you're going a little bit beyond regular off-road cosplay yeah, but before you get too excited sammy it is the same all-wheel drive system found in the bronco sport badlands oh yeah great the badlands <laughs> so <laughs> which we talked about a little bit last so week basically any vehicle with the with the Two liter EcoBoost four gets this all wheel drive system. It's it's a twin clutch system apparently that allows you to send um, power to one rear axle or the other. Sorry, one one side of the axle or the other. So one wheel to the other in the back. That's that's right. the management. Uh, it's um, nine point four inches of total ground clearance. Refresh my memory, Sammy. I think that's exactly the same as the Outback Wilderness. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, and I love that. I love that. Arm, like automakers just have this. Like we gotta meet them. We gotta meet them at that exact number every time. <laughs> well, why do nine point five when nine point four will do, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. and it's only on the EcoBoost. You can't get it on the hybrid. Um, it's everything else about the truck is the same as before. So. Again, uh, you lose a little bit of payload capacity because it's a heavy vehicle. It's heavier. Uh, not heavy. I'm not saying it's heavy like the i4 is heavy. But every time you add something to a vehicle, you still have the ceiling of the gross vehicle weight rating, right? Mm-hmm. So that subtracts from other areas. So um, it drops from 1,500 pounds of payload to 1,200 pounds. Not a huge deal. But if you think about it, to 300 pounds lost, that's like two passengers you can't carry with you if you're already at the max. So yeah. keep that in mind. Uh, the towing capacity also drops to two thousand pounds. Already not not that great on the on the map. No, because right? you could get the four K tow package with the FX four. You can't get it with this truck. Okay, um, I'm gonna admit it. I'm a little I'm a little nuts for the the Maverick. It really did impress um, when I drove it, and I drove this two liter turbo version of the truck. Not this, um, not this tremor package version, obviously, but, and I came away really impressed because it was really affordable. But adding all these trim packages and, you know, the, the, like we called it off-road cosplay, I think that defeats a tiny bit of the purpose of the truck. Yeah, this it's, was it's, meant to, this, to me, this was a street truck that really got the job done in, in urban environments or city environments. Yeah, and you can't add it to, I think the base is the XL, right? Mm. So you can add it to XLT and Lariat models, which means you're paying more already, and it's like three grand. Uh, there's also something called the Tremor Appearance Package, which gives you like graphics, and that's pretty much it. Oh, mirror caps and a gray oh, roof, but that's fifteen hundred dollars. <laughs> so don't get that. You get the other thing. The other thing is a much better value. Um, and there's one other truck we want to talk about. This one is all new. It is the Chevy Colorado, which is you know kind of been out there for a while. A truck I liked a lot when it first came out. Um, it's but it's kind of like gotten stale, hasn't it? Well, yes and no. Or it uh, did before this upgrade. The midsize, the midsize truck pack is super weird in the sense that none of them are super competitive in a, in in every area. Like mm-hmm. we have, we 
what the new Nissan came out. What's it called again? The Frontier. Frontier. And yeah. it has like, it had like a pretty good interior, but we had that, the engine was like, and the transmission just didn't play well together and the fuel mileage was pretty bad. So there was that. Yep. Then there's a Tacoma, which just kind of feels like it's really old in every yeah. respect. Like it's kind of trying to catch up. Yeah. Uh, the Rangers has a great drivetrain, but the interior is way behind the pack. It just feels like something from four or five years ago. And the Colorado, I think, had a pretty decent interior. But... I actually think you're right. I think the Colorado is the most modern feeling of all of them. Yeah, it was well-rounded. Um, it had a V6. It had a turbo diesel. Was there a four-cylinder option? I think there was. A two yeah, and a half liter. A, two, a 2.5, yeah. Yeah. So um, the, the, the turbo diesel thing was pretty neat. And it had the ZR2, which was a step ahead of pretty much everything except maybe the Tacoma TRD Pro. This was real off-road. This was not cosplay. I like yeah, this. This, is, this, this is, is probably real. one of the best trucks I've, I've driven, the ZR2. So all that to say, the Colorado has wiped the slate clean when it comes with two drivetrains. So everything I just said, forget about it. No more V6. No more base four-cylinder, no more diesel. It's all 2.7 turbo now. That's the engine mm. from the Silverado, Sammy, and it comes in like a bunch of tunes. I think like starts at 237 horsepower and goes up to 310 horsepower. Nice. Um, there's the, the ZR2 gets a crazy version that has 430 pound-feet of torque. Which wow. Is, that's by far the class leader for mid That's way trucks. more than even the turbo diesel had before it. Yeah. Right? Uh, and, and even the, uh, the, the mid-trim, which is they're calling the plus engine, it has 390 pound-feet. So nice. this is kind of a, a slap across the face to other mid-sized trucks. It'll be really interesting to see how this drives. Uh, what I liked about the Colorado was it felt more like a crossover than a truck in terms of comfort and handling and whatnot. Um, it didn't have the super crazy heavy steering of the Nissan Frontier that we had recently. And uh, it was more truck-like than the, the Ridgeline. So yeah. it's a, it, was a, it was a good happy medium. I mean, I'm not a big mid-size. Also, I also need to, want to talk about this 2.7 liter. This is an engine, this 2.7 liter turbocharged four-cylinder um, was available on the Silverado where it was really not a good fit, right? Like it really didn't seem like the the right engine for that car, that truck. But maybe for the Silverado, I think it might be a better match. We'll see. We'll see what people say once they start driving it. But the smaller vehicle, lighter vehicle, and potentially being used in different use cases than or applications than a Silverado would be would make that 2.7 really come or feel like a like a good fit. There's also a couple of other differences that they're bringing out with this Colorado. And the fact is uh, you can only get one bed length now. It's only going to be short beds. And okay. you have to get the four-door crew cab, whereas before they had kind of a shorter four-door that was yeah. available. So that's gone. Um, that's, I think that's okay. I think that's a natural sort of selection of, well, the, of the market, though, right? I guess so. Again, mid-sized trucks don't make a ton of sense. Yeah. Um, when, when compared to full-size trucks, mid-size trucks make sense when compared to your lifestyle, where you have to park, where you have to drive. These are still pretty large vehicles, much, much larger than a Maverick that we were just talking about. Uh, so I, I'm curious to drive it and uh, see how it feels. Um, there won't be Super Cruise with it. Uh, the Silverado gets Super Cruise, but they're keeping it out of the Colorado, so... We'll see what Weird. happens. A Canyon is coming. Maybe the Canyon will get it, because the Canyon has a Denali model, so we can kind of hold out hope for that. Okay. But uh, I think that's that wraps things up for me, Sam. There is one more piece of business I wanted to bring up. We had yep. a, a listener, Neil, write into us. Uh, we, we'd spoken in the past about EVs, and he wrote to tell us he just picked up a, a Genesis GV60 Advanced. Um, much wow. happier with that compared to the Ionic 5 rear-wheel drive that he drove. 
and uh, he thinks it's – he used the phrase stupid fast, which is something that I associate with so many of these EV SUVs. He's had it for a couple days. He really likes it, and he's wanted to let us know that unlike the EV6, the door handles pop out when you approach the car. Perfect. That's what we need. It is what we need. Uh, he says it's expensive compared to the siblings that share the drivetrain, but uh, for him, this was the model of the three that he liked the most. Interestingly, Neil has also put a deposit down on an IX M50, Sammy. Wow. It, okay. He says, He's not an EV enthusiast right here, But I he think. says a full year for delivery. Goodness. That is a long time. That is something that might push you from an IX to an i4, if you could get an i4. Um, if, you know, like, just saying. Can you? If, Can somebody do that? <laughs> I don't know what i4 availability is like. It might be easier to get, though, because production line might not be as restricted if it's built on the same one as the 4 Series. So that's something. I really hope about. he also got the real pricing for the IX and not the weird fake internet pricing. I hope he got the $55,000 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Basically. Sorry. Other, other, I meant it the other way around. I hope he got the real good discount. Um, um, <laughs> not the, not the garbage one later. So, so Sammy, if people wanted to hear the 280 other episodes of Unnamed Automotive Podcast, how would they do that? They would go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. Um, and you would be able to see all of our previous episodes. You'd be able to see photos of the cars that we've been driving and some links to some of the stories that we've, uh, written about those vehicles, which is, which is handy if you want to, you know, read what we're writing instead of what we're saying instead of hear it, right? Yeah. Um, you can also go to our website. There's a contact form there. You can fill out the contact form and get in touch with us, just like Neil did and uh, Blake did. Um, or you can reach out to us on social media. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And you can find Ben on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. Additionally, wait, hold on. Give me a minute. All right. You got it. You have the floor. Okay. Um, additionally, while you're on our website, you can subscribe to our podcast if you haven't done so. There's a bunch of buttons on the top of the website. You click on them, um, and you'll subscribe uh, pretty easily that way. Or, you know, we all use podcast clients here, or podcatchers as they're known. You can just search for us there. Just in case you forgot, the podcast name is The Unnamed Automotive Podcast. You just search for that, and we'll be there. I promise. And, Sammy, you won't be there next week because you are going on a much overdue honeymoon. Yay! And I'll be off to Morocco for some uh, fun in the sun. So we will be missing a week of podcasts, but we will be back, and we will not be talking about EVs. Uh, no! I'm going to be talking about something that is, honestly, I'm driving it right now, and it's a little crazy. It is the Jeep Wrangler 392, the, the, the Rubicon with the 6.4 liter V8. Uh, this is much more vehicle than I had anticipated, and it is causing me to rethink a whole bunch of things in my life. Uh, and I'll be driving a vehicle uh, known that I think slid under the uh, the radar for a couple of people. It's called the Mercedes-Benz GLB, as Ooh. in Ben. As B in stands ben. for bonus. Oh, yes, of course. So I can't wait to tell you. And I think I even got the AMG version of it, which is kind of cool. So I'll, AMGB. Yes, AMGB. They sent the B team. Uh, so you're ready for that, Ben? I'm, I was born ready for the B team. Perfect. Uh, I'll talk to you then. I hope you have a great one. Bye, everybody. Bye.